Welcome to the People First Leaders Podcast. My name is Doug Utberg, Marine Corps veteran, founder CEO of ExpenserDeuce.com, and I have absolutely nothing to sell you. The purpose of this commercial-free show is to honor the leaders who approach life as go-givers by putting their people and customer value first. Stick around until the end of the show, and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in about 20 minutes. Let's go. We have Dr. Robin Buckley with us today, and we're going to be talking about the secret to saving marriages in the 21st century. Now, as far as big promises go, this is up there. The backdrop to this is that there is probably nothing short of a relationship crisis in the West and the world in particular right now. Technically speaking, divorce rates are going down, so people would say, okay, well, isn't that a good thing? Well, one report that I recently read showed that within the next 10 years, an estimated 40% of all females between the age of, I think it's 25 and 55, will be single and childless. And also the birth rate for every country in the West, basically meaning the developed countries of like North America and Europe, is at about 1.6, which means you are well below replacement rate. So we're looking at the very real possibility of a world population peak and then decline. And then let's kind of bear on top of this that there are a lot of relationships and marriages that appear, quote, stable to the outside, but there are a lot of issues that are bubbling up underneath, but will will be brought to the surface and it could be a very destructive thing. So that's actually one of the things that Dr. Buckley specializes in. In fact, she has a TED Talk. I will let her tell you the title of the TED Talk. But what I really love is that she deals with uncomfortable topics because this is an uncomfortable topic, especially for business-focused people, which I am and have spent much of my career being. But I think you have to lean into those uncomfortable things in order to get to the point of real progress. So anyway, Dr. Buckley, I have spoken far too much. Please, please take the mic and introduce yourself. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate the the intro and leading this conversation. Initially, I did work as an executive coach, and I've really evolved into doing more coupled coaching based on a proprietary model I created. And it was because of the conversations I was having, predominantly with female executives yeah. and business owners, and how to give them a different option than couples therapy. So I work with couples, and I also do a lot of speaking around mm-hmm. this model, this approach, and as you noted, a couple other uncomfortable topics. Okay, you got to let us do your TED Talk. <laughs> My TED Talk was in May. It was released in September because it was held by TED because they wanted to promote it, which was really exciting. And the title is Why I Gave My Teenage Daughter a Vibrator and You Should Too. So it is, it definitely talks about that, but it really expands to connecting women to their sexual, not just their sexuality, their sexual pleasure, the ripple effect it has on every other area of power in their lives. There's a reason why I absolutely love that and want to weave it into our conversation is because sex is the great taboo for people to talk about. Of course, you you don't have to go very far in any social media and find out that it's apparently not taboo to put pictures of your butt all over the internet. But having grown-up conversations about sex and sexuality is just something that is not cool, apparently. And I think that has created a lot of very destructive personal, relational, and societal impacts. And so as much as possible, I would like for us to help unwind that. It amazes me with the couples I've worked with, and a lot of them have been married decades, you know, two Uh decades, three decades, and they don't have these kind of candid conversations. Or a couple I've been working with, they decided they needed to come with a sexicon, words to use because the way the husband talked about sexual engagement 
the words he used offended the wife and vice versa. The words she used, he didn't like. And, and hers were actually more explicit. So it was a reversal of roles. But I think that the more I talk to people and meet people, it, it really isn't, you know, obviously not the epidemic like we're dealing with in other areas of health in the world, but it well, isn't. And, and like, epidemic doesn't something. have to be physiological to be right, meaningful. Exactly. And I would say it isn't epidemic because, yeah. for example, I really despise quoting the divorce rate as like the barometer of marriage health because I know of many people who were married for multiple decades very, very, very unhappily. And basically, we're just afraid to be apart. That's right. not the goal. <laughs> and I think that's, the, and I actually think that's the norm more so than divorce, where people will just stay in it. And sometimes they can resolve things, but they've been together. I mean, my parents were a great example yeah. of it. They were together for a long time. And my sister and I knew they were unhappy. It was really clear. There was yeah. no fighting. There was no like destruction. Yeah. Codependence. That's not happiness. And it doesn't have to be that way. Like couples yeah. Yeah. can create a plan around what they want their relationship in the present and where they want to get to in the future. But in our society, we don't talk about marriage and relationships. We talk about marriage and relationship in terms of what we wish and what we hope and what we're expecting. But if it was business, our base of business on hopes and wishes and expectations, we would have a plan. But we don't do that in one of the most important parts of our lives. Two things. Number one, you just teased the topic of our conversation. So I want to come back to it. And number two, I want to touch that point you just made because I think it's really relevant. One of the things that frequently astounds me is between the ages of your early teens, say about you know, 17, 18, and your mid-20s, is when you make four to five of the most important decisions in your entire life. You decide where you're going to go to college. If you're on a college track, and so since the human brain doesn't finish developing until the age 25, how rational and thought out of a choice are you going to make as a teenager? The, the obvious answer is not very. Okay, so then afterwards you decide what your career is going to be, which may or may not have anything to do with where you went to college. Then you will also decide where you're going to live, which is also extremely impactful. And then you will, you know, you'll make the most important decision of your life, which is, you know, who is your partner going to be? And then are you going to start a family? All of these have multi-decade impacts on your life and can be extremely complicated to unwind if you make a big mistake. When I think about that, Doug, and it's a conversation because we have in our blended family, we have yeah. two boys and two girls. So we've got to experience kind of the yeah. whole realm of what that can look like. And only two away from the Brady Bunch. <laughs> exactly. I say that a lot. So when I talk to, whether it's my kids or parents mm -hmm. around, you know, with, with, I call them collaterals in the work yeah. that I do. So it separates some of that emotion away. But when we talk about this and this idea of exactly, as you said, making these kind of decisions and in my world, particularly around relationships and making a commitment mm -hmm. before your frontal lobe is really developed, before yeah. your frontal lobe and the rest of your brain has had experiences to be able to understand what you really want. And even more so, and I think this is even more important for females or it, it impacts females and I'll explain why. We make a decision on who we're going to be with in our late 20s. For a lot of females, I think we are still trying to do everything. We're trying to have the career and be that modern, you know, norm of a woman. And we're also trying to do a lot of the older norms. You have a family, be a wife, yeah. do everything according to Pinterest and Instagram that looks perfect and easy. And in the meantime, yeah. we forget to ask, is this what we really want? Because we just start getting on that treadmill. And then we hit 40, 45, and we're like, what happened to the life 
that I really wanted? What happened to the things I really wanted? Our partners feel like we're pulling the rug out from underneath them. Because all of a sudden we're like, no, 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 no. This is not how I want things to be for the remaining part of my life. Kids are gone or, or less dependent on us. And that's what starts to rock the relationship. Because all of a sudden the things that our partner has gotten used to, now we're saying, that's actually not what I want anymore. And actually, in some cases, it's not ever what I wanted. And now our partner has to learn they want to stay with us like okay what do you want now so there's so much oh my gosh there's so much to try and figure out because society tells us that's the time to figure it out and so saying maybe not now maybe we can slow down a little bit and really get to know ourselves before we start bringing in other people into our lives there's a complicating factor too there which is that just from a biological perspective unless you are highly affluent able to pay for in vitro fertilization The way female biology works is that I think 90% of your eggs have been consumed by the time you're about 30 years old. And I think about 35-ish is considered a geriatric pregnancy, which sounds weird to say in the contemporary society, but those are the numbers. On the one hand, people say women shouldn't get married until later. Well, that will make it very hard to have families if that's your wish. So what that means is you have a narrow window (laughs) if that's your goal. Unless they adopt, unless they yeah. freeze their eggs, this unless they look at different options. This so is true. What I, one thing I do love, we were talking about our generation earlier, because I'm a Gen Xer as well. I've forgotten people-pleasing generation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I love about the younger millennials and the, the older Gen Zs is they're starting to rewrite what relationships look like, what families look like. And I love that so much. And I actually will share briefly a story that my son gave me permission yeah. So he's 28 years old and he decided last year to have a vasectomy. And my mother freaked out. She's like, how could you let him do that? I'm like, well, one, he's 28. So there's no letting him. I said, but he, this wasn't impulsive. This, he thought it through. He never has really wanted children. And he said, if I ever change my mind or the person I decide to be with, you know, if that becomes a conversation, we can adopt or maybe I'll get it reversed. But I want to make sure that what I want right now is solidly in place. And I was like, that's. That's to me, I was really proud of him because he made a choice being at a more adult stage of life yeah. that works for him. And that's, you know, our generation, nobody would have thought to do that. No yeah. one. <laughs> Especially with the vasectomy. Like, well, those things can be reversed. I think a 99 and a half, or it might even be a five, nine percent success rate. I mean, there is a extremely low probability chance that it's a one-way door. If you're not sure that you want kids right away, it's kind of a no-brainer. You know, that's a hard thing for most guys to wrap their heads around, but still. I admire that we're starting to see some of that idea of, I don't have to rush in. I don't have to do things the way my yeah. parents did it, my grandparents did it. And I think that that gives me a lot of hope for relationships. Yeah. The thing that I think is really hard and that a lot of people struggle with in their life is that the person who you are in your early mid-20s mm-hmm. is very unlikely to be the person who you are in your mid-40s. And depending on whether you decide to have kids or not, that may change again once your kids move out. And unless by almost happenstance, both you and your partner pivot exactly the same way through all those changes, then you'll have conflict to deal with. We haven't even talked about what if you have a major medical issue? What if you have a major employment issue? Expecting everything to be stable indefinitely, that's ridiculous. That is actually incredibly selfish because what happens, people project that need onto other people and then blame them for whenever their expectations don't come to pass. But if your expectations weren't reasonable to begin with, the only thing that you're doing is setting up another person to be your guilt punching bag. And that's not a fair position to put anyone in. 
Well, I think what it comes down to is, and a lot of the couples I work with are in this kind of place where they're going through a transition and there's no protocol or plan. Because when we say I'm with, you know, then for life or, or you know, yeah. the death was part. Again, those are great words, but what's the plan to accomplish that? How do you yeah. make sure that when you are going through a significant transition that you know the scripts to use with each other, the protocols to use, what each other's roles are? And again, I will go back to business. If this was a business and a business was going through a transition, whatever that might look like, you know, dissolution of the business or merger yeah. or whatever, they would set up a business plan on how to successfully navigate that transition. Couples rarely do this. And luckily, the, the clients who have found me, that's what I help them do. Is, is This just happens to be what you specialize in. So let's unpack it, it a little bit. It, it absolutely is. And I love the work that I do with couples. And I love watching couples realize, oh, we don't have to get divorced. We can yeah. actually create a better approach to have the relationship we really want. Reach mm -hmm. that level of satisfaction and happiness and then love and sexual attraction that we want. Yeah. Okay. So you teased it. Now let's go a few more paces down the road because the idea that we tease is to essentially have a business plan for your marriage, which is probably one of the least romantic things that I have ever heard a female say <laughs> when it comes to marriage advice. You're in my full mansplaining territory here. I disagree, Doug. This model came out of the work I did with an ass women executives. Mm -hmm. Were you so used to getting to having success in their professional yeah. lives. When I would say, how do you manage conflict at work? They could tell me. How do you manage getting a huge, yeah. overwhelming project done? They could tell me. And then I'd ask the same about their relationships. Well, how do you manage conflict with your significant other? They couldn't translate it. And so the more work I did with them around that, because as we know, for a lot of women, you know, your personal life and professional life dovetail, they, I started realizing we could create a model, I could create a model couples to do this together. So it's not just one partner thinking in terms of business terms. And while I agree, it comes across as not very romantic. I was joking, by the way. Oh, no. And I'm okay with that. I agree. I try and take out the emotionality and give distance because if I can help them do that, then the romance and all the good stuff, you know, the bells and whistles, they're going to be even better. So I'm, I'm okay with creating a space where we're going to talk objectively, strategically, logistically. Because later on, all of that stuff that we really do think about when we think about relationships, that's going to be better than, than before. Okay, so we're talking about our marriage business plan. What's the first step? For every single couple I work with, the first step is creating a mission statement. Uh -huh. And I will ask them, do you have a mission statement at your companies or wherever they work? And of course, they'll say yes. And I'll say, okay, and why? And they say all the right things. Keeps people unified. Keeps yeah. them on the same track. It's like the North Star or the Compass. And then I'll ask them, what's your relationship mission mm -hmm. statement? And I'd say 99%, but it's, all, it's everybody I can think of. And they'll say, we don't have one. And I'll ask why not. And they'll, they'll be crickets. And then they'll say, I don't know, why don't we have one? And I'm like, it's because society doesn't teach us to start there. So for every couple, that's their first piece of homework. Mm -hmm. They create a mission statement for the relationship. And my disclaimer for them is, this is about you as a couple, your relationship. It does not involve your kids. It does not involve work. It is about the business. That it does not involve your parents or extended family no, either. Because for a great many of us, those, those people no. are very, very involved in our lives. No, those are the collaterals. And yeah. that's how I refer to them. So kids, parents, extended family, yeah. friends, they, they have no place in deciding how your relationship mm -hmm. is going to move forward. Because in the end, when the kids are gone, the parents have 
deceased. Uh-huh. It's the two of you. So where do you, the two of you want to be? How do you want to orchestrate that? And of course, the collaterals are part of some of the goals, but the mission statement is how do we keep this relationship solid, structured, successful? And mm-hmm. that's, that's what they create. Yeah, it seems so simple when you say it that way. But the thing I really like about what you said, and I'm sure what I'm sure makes it hard to do, especially when you have, say, kids and family and people who have high urgency needs. So, for example, my daughter's 16 right now and my son's 13. Whether it's dance or swim or track or scouts, there is stuff going on all the time. And we go to church at the same place I've gone since I was five, but it's 50 minutes away from our house. So we drive a lot. And so there is just a ton of logistics. And so that occupies a whole lot of mental bandwidth. So trying to detach from that gets really hard. And then, of course, you know, for my wife and I, both of our parents are getting older and are less able to do as many things fully independently as they used to. And so that gets hard. But all of those things that we're talking about, these are all very short-term, high-urgency things. But if you can't back those out of your headspace for a little while, you will never get to the, what does this mean for the two of us? And that can be a surprisingly hard conversation to have because before you even get to that conversation, you have to get to the, we need to back all of the urgent stuff out of the thought bubble for a couple of hours. And that, that's not always easy to do. I disagree. I've seen it be easy, but here's why. You are probably better than me. That has not been easy for me to do. (laughs) It's not me and my relationship. I'm talking about I've seen it easy for my clients, but it comes down to, again, something not very sexy, which is scheduling and calendaring and having a weekly meeting where you and your partner sit down and you go over, what does this next week look like? How do we get, you know, so-and-so here and -and so-and-so there and mom and dad, you know, have this. How are we going to manage this? Again, if it was business and we had three major projects going on, we would delineate roles. We would break down the tasks into smaller pieces. We would hire external resources if necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, again, a couple I worked with, they were trying to manage two very sickly parents on either side of the couple, the husband's mother and, and wife's mother. And they were trying to do everything. And finally, I said to them, could you hire someone to do like whatever it was? And it had never occurred to them because they were both so invested in taking care of their respective parents. And then on top of that, they it created a rift between them because then it was like, well, you see your mom is more important than my mom. Instead of just saying, okay, together as a unit, how do we take care of these collaterals? And how do we build in other people so it's not all on us, if at all possible? And yeah. how do we, can we look at the calendar and say, okay, I have to bring so-and-so to the doctor's appointment on Monday. Can you take care of this? But what a lot of couples do is it's like in the moment frantic. I thought you were going to take it. And that's what creates the stress. Once it's on the calendar, dog, it's out of your headspace. So you're not laying there in bed, which could be a better use of that time in bed to think about like, okay, all these details are floating around in my head instead of just being here in the moment, which should be the most important person in my life, my partner. That makes, makes complete sense. So well, it's not easy to create yeah. that that initial process and protocol, but once it's in place, it gets easier and easier than to manage all the busyness that's that's surrounding yeah. the couple. In your experience, have you found that the rest of the process flows pretty natural once you get that initial inertia going, or are are, are there more pieces that need to be unlocked? So it would seem to me that what once you have that frame, you're basically treating it like projects, milestones, deliverables, owners, and 
I'm going to nerd out a little bit. I'm thinking about change orders and schedule ships and all that kind of stuff. It would seem to me that now you have a framework to where you can progress very rapidly. I think for a lot of couples, and sometimes it's both people in the couple, sometimes it's one. One of the biggest challenges is not continually going back to the past. And well, you used to do this. And I tell couples all the time, we can't change the past. There's nothing we can do to change the past, but we can change your present and we can absolutely create change Mm -hmm. future. It takes at least two or three sessions for couples to Mm -hmm. start to see the benefit of talking about it like a business. When I see couples start to build in emotionality, whether it's both of them, whether it's one of them, we bring it back to the business model. And usually I'll completely shift it where, tell me how you do this at work. It would seem to me that the thing that would be most helpful to get to that point of unstuck is to be able to talk about uncomfortable things like relationship dynamics more openly. My observation is that the cultural pressure is to basically pretend like things are perfect all the time. I think social media has taken that borderline narcissistic tendency and turn it into a self-reinforcing hyper-narcissistic tendency where people feel like unless they can put you know perfection on Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram every day that they're not measuring up or not comparing. What's funny is the mission statement actually helps with that. So when a couple, and I see this past month, I've yeah. seen it a lot in couples because of the mm-hmm. holidays and the stress yeah. that people create for themselves. And so I bring them back to their mission statement. Is this choice supporting your mission? Is this plan for the holidays supporting your mission? Is this reaction support? So yeah. the mission statement isn't just, you know, for most companies, we, they do a mission statement, they paste it on the wall and on their website and people forget about it. To me, a mission statement is something that you keep really accessible and it becomes a dynamic tool to compare your choices, your decisions, your reactions, your words. So when people say marriage is hard, I call BS on that. Marriage doesn't have to be hard, but it is deliberate. It is a deliberate choice every day to either support the mission or not. And when when you're human and you fall off and you did something that didn't support the mission, how do you get back on track? Or do you need to reevaluate the mission because now something's changed? And that can happen too, because again, mission statements should be dynamic. It can evolve with a couple. But it's a deliberate choice, a conscious choice. There's a statement out there that says, understand that you're perfect just the way you are. And I would say, just understand that you're not perfect and neither is anybody else. And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I avoid the use of that word. There's no perfect, but you want and what you want it to be. And that is satisfying and Uh happy and fulfilling, but perfect. Oh my good Lord. No, that's way too much pressure with friends, family, Uh audiences, whatever is not the ideal or the perfection. It's what works for the couple. So I'm not going to tell them that they should be completely comfortable and open. It's what works for them. And if finding different ways that it gets them to their mission and their goals, that's terrific. All right, Dr. Buckley, this has been a outstanding conversation. Uh, Give us one or two last thoughts and then let everybody know where they can learn some more. Sure. I go back to people listening, Doug, take nothing else away. Mm -hmm. Start with a mission statement. Yeah. Have a a fun date night at your house, at your dining room table, sit down with your significant other and say, where are we and where do we want to get to? That can create amazing conversations. The second one, kind of related to what I just said, if a couple is not having a satisfactory physical connection, Mm -hmm. I always tell couples, okay, so tell me where it is on your calendar. And of course, most couples say, we don't put sex on our calendar. I'm like, why? Everything else that's important to you that you want to make sure you do gets on your calendar, everything. So until 
it becomes a regular part of your life again. Mm -hmm. Why is it on your calendar? Because if it's on your calendar, it's more likely to happen than not. So those would be the two biggest takeaways that come up very frequently in my work with couples. And then if couples want to learn more, my website is chock full of great information for not just my model, but for couples in general. Mm -hmm. And that's at drrobinbuckley.com. So all one word, no periods. And of course, we'll have a link to it on the show notes as well. So uh, Dr. Buckley, I feel like I can call you Robin. (laughs) Robin, it's been uh, wonderful talking with you today. It was a lot of fun, Doug. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the People First Leaders podcast. If you are a successful People First founder or CEO who would like to be on this show, please visit peoplefirstleaders.net forward slash guest. If this interview resonated, would you please share it on social media? Just take a quick screenshot on your phone and post it on your favorite social channel. Then make sure to tag me at Doug Value so I can give you and your business a shout out on a future episode. If you know somebody who'd be a great guest, please tag them on social and include the hashtag PeopleFirstLeaders. I really love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're releasing new content and episodes all the time, so make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any new episodes. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me personally. And also, I would like to connect with you on social. My handle is at Doug Value, or you can just go to peoplefirstleaders.net where all of the links are posted. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.